Hello, everybody. This is Ravi Gupta, and this is a special episode of The Lost Debate Show. And what I want to do here is I just want to give you a couple key takeaways from this affirmative action decision that was rendered yesterday. And we have done a lot of work at both on The Lost Debate Show, but in the branch generally about affirmative action and the history of the jurisprudence and the policy around affirmative action. And we'll uh, link in the show notes to a, a series of articles that we've written and podcast episodes that we've put out, including a, a two-part narrative series in the fall, all about this question. And back in the fall, when I was working on that narrative series on affirmative action, I talked to a guy named Ted Shaw, who is somebody who has been on the front lines of affirmative action debates for decades. He was He's currently at the University of North Carolina Law School. The University of North Carolina uh, was a defendant in this case. Shaw was at the University of Michigan when the University of Michigan was wrapped up in a, you know two different Supreme Court cases, one about the undergraduate institution and one with the law school. But the undergraduate affirmative action program was struck down, but the law school's practices were upheld, and Shaw actually advised the law school on those practices to help them withstand the scrutiny of the court. He was at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and notably for the purposes of today, in the summer of 1978, he was a third-year law student, happened to be in the courtroom when the landmark Bakke decision was announced. And this was the beginning of modern affirmative action jurisprudence was the Bakke decision. And what Shaw told me was he said, quote, I heard those decisions announced, and I left the Supreme Court that day devastated, end quote. You may wonder, like, why was he devastated? Because the Bakke decision I, actually left room for universities to consider race and admissions. But the key piece of Bakke was that there was the, the court was just bitterly divided over the question of affirmative action and Justice Powell had to write what was called a controlling opinion because there wasn't a majority for any one rationale and in the years since people basically used Powell's decision as this the rationale for affirmative action moving forward and later uh, affirmed it and this is what Shaw had to say about Powell's rationale quote Powell wrote about a rationale for affirmative action that was different than that which had been adopted and put in place for many years. He, for the first time, talked about a diversity rationale, and that diversity rationale did a number of things, but it was not a rationale that supported efforts to remedy past segregation and discrimination and exclusion. It was a rationale that said that colleges and universities had a First Amendment interest in academic freedom in admitting students who would bring diversity to the institution, end quote. So Powell was explicitly saying, you could read this in the decision, that you can't consider the effects of societal discrimination. And he said that the societal discrimination was insufficient because, quote, it was an amorphous concept of injury that may be ageless in its reach into the past, end quote. Now, the problem for Powell and the court and everybody else since has been, yes, societal discrimination perhaps could be amorphous, although I would argue about how amorphous it can be because you could point to very acute injustices that have happened to people on the basis of race in this country. In this country, we have a very dark and specific history of past discrimination on the basis of race. The problem I have with Powell's justification, and certainly that Ted Shaw had with Powell's justification, is that diversity, which Powell was holding up as a rationale, is even more amorphous. And that is the problem that has plagued affirmative action ever since. Like, according to Shah, and these are my words, not his, but when I talk to him, you get the sense that he basically believed that affirmative action was dead from that day forward, from 1978 forward. Yes, universities were basically trying to shoehorn 
societal discrimination through diversity, basically smuggle societal discrimination arguments through diversity. But that has been the push and pull of affirmative action ever since. And when you read the dissenting opinions in the the decision that was rendered yesterday, you see Justice Sotomayor and Jackson attempting to bring back societal discrimination as a rationale, but of course they don't have the votes. So what you have is uh, Roberts, Gorsuch, Thomas, and different opinions, right? The, the majority opinion from Roberts and then the concurring opinions by Gorsuch, Thomas, and Kavanaugh basically smacking down the societal discrimination argument basically on the basis of the jurisprudence of stare decisis, not on the basis of substance. Uh, and that, I think, has robbed us in the public of a real debate amongst these justices about the meaning of societal discrimination and what we as a country should do about it. And so there are actually way more interesting debates happening on the pages of places like The Atlantic and you know, and, and places like Persuasion, where I've written about this, where like society, when they talk about affirmative action, they talk differently than the Supreme Court. Most people are saying, well, our past injustices and the present effects of those and even current discrimination a reason to consider race in admissions. And so you have pieces by people like Brownstein in the Atlantic and Kendi in the Atlantic arguing in, in many cases on empirical grounds that, hey, like there are, ma- there are many inequalities today on the basis of race whether it's housing, Richard Rothstein had a a good article about this. I don't agree with everything he said, but there's a lot of really good empirical data there saying, all right, like if you look at housing, employment, wealth, there's huge inequality on the basis of race, obviously schools, education. And then you have people like Richard Kallenberg, who uh, we've cited before on this podcast and hopefully we'll have on soon, who is arguing that, hey, like we should just consider economics and economics actually when we consider wealth inequality, for example, and we use that as a determination uh, or a plus in admissions, like whether you're on the lower rung of wealth, that is actually how we should um, preference people in college admissions. And so there's this vibrant debate happening out there that kind of lives outside of the court's arguments here. Uh, but when you're left reading the court's decisions, it's it's a little awkward because they're still talking about this diversity rationale, which it seems like most people in society are having a different conversation, right? But what's really notable to me about this Roberts decision is that tucked in the opinion, like uh, most people are reading decisions and say, all right, you can't consider race anymore in admissions moving forward, which is sort of what's happened here. But there's a sentence in the Roberts decision that I think is going to be highly scrutinized and that, you know, today in a lot of admissions offices across the country, people are going to be reading this sentence over and over and over again and say, well, what does this allow us to do? And this is the sentence in Roberts' opinion. He said, quote, nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. And Roberts said that, quote, the student must be treated based on his or her experience as an individual, not on the basis of race, uh, end quote. So here's what I think is going to happen. Universities have, a lot of them are, are actually starting to walk away from the use of standardized testing and other objective measures in the um, admissions process, something that I've been very critical of because I don't trust universities. Actually, what's interesting is if you read Kendi and you read Roberts, 
none of these people trust universities. <laughs> so that's it's actually what everybody agrees in this, whether you're for or against affirmative action. None of us trust these universities to be transparent and well-intentioned in their practices. I think where we come out may be different, but none of us really trust them. Uh, but what's fascinating to me is they're, these universities are going to walk away from standardized testing and other objective measures, and they're going to be crafting through these sort of holistic emissions pra- processes ways around what Roberts has largely written and, and ways around prohibitions on affirmative action. And I think what they're going to wind up doing is they're going to wind up having you know heavily weighting student essays where students talk about how race has affected them in their lives you know based on the this explicit statement from roberts here saying nothing in this opinion should be construed to prohibit universities from doing that so you know what i think is going to be happening in harvard and other places is they're gonna they're gonna steer students in the direction of writing about how race has affected them and they're going to use that as a rationale and i suspect that will be coupled with certain economic like strengthening of economic affirmative action in particular there's a really good debate happening out there about using wealth instead of income because the wealth gap is more significant than the income gap so i think if we're looking at the future of affirmative action here i think just like the baki decision kind of because of you know the the carve out for the diversity rationale it led to a lot of universities kind of doing backflips to try to smuggle certain practices through the diversity rationale I think what's going to happen here is uh, you're going to have heavily weighted uh, student essays about how society and interviews about how societal discrimination has affected them and how they've overcome that. You're going to have certain wealth-based, you know, admissions pluses to say, all right, like if you come from the lower end of the economic rung, especially as it relates to wealth, which is kind of hard to, by the way, quantify. Like income is an easier thing to. Um, verify right and basically say like how much do your parents make are you on free and reduced lunch etc and wealth is actually way harder to quantify but i bet universities are going to try and you're going to put all this kind of stuff together and and also put it together with the fact that universities are they pro they preemptively have been walking away from objective measures that even got them in the crosshairs in the first place so if we if we take a step back and say why is harvard even here it's because Standardized testing allowed us to have a transparent read on how year over year Asian Americans were being treated. And that was the gateway that allowed Asian American plaintiffs to then sue Harvard and get them on the stand, get them through discovery to find other things that were qualitatively problematic, like the use of sparse country metrics, certain statements that were very damning from missions officers, and so the quantitative objective measures were actually a step in the direction of getting at Harvard's qualitative discrimination. And without the use of standardized tests, it's going to be harder and harder to prove discrimination moving forward. So my sense after reading this opinion is that uh, not much may change after this. Like these universities have many tools at their disposals to create diverse student bodies to get at race through proxy means. And I think there's going to be a lot of lawyering going on. I don't think this is going to be the last time we hear from the Supreme Court on affirmative action. And I think, I'm not sure that this decision is an improvement on the status quo. Uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's really important. I think it would have been really important if this court 
rendered a decision, and Gorsuch kind of got at this in the concurrence, but really centered this on the question of did Harvard discriminate against Asian Americans, and what's the meaning of that? Because in many ways, the court sidestepped that question, which is actually something that uh, Jenny Soup Gerson complained about earlier on in the process when I interviewed her back in the fall was that, you know, lost in this entire debate is whether Harvard, in fact, discriminated against Asian Americans. And I think most cases should be about whatever the wrong is that's being done. But I think through this sort of push and pull of our society's politics, this this case, as it went through the courts, became about so much more than that. And in many ways, we lost sight of who the plaintiffs were and what they were asking for. And we're, you're kind of left after reading the decision and saying, well, I'm not sure. Like, are Asian Americans going to be better off after this decision or not? I have major questions. I also think it's worth saying that this is, like, this decision, and Kendi's piece in The Atlantic, I think, is probably the best example of this, is now reviving some really, really bad arguments about college admissions. And so essentially what Kendi is saying, and a lot of liberals are saying, is, like, this is just another reason why we need to get rid of standardized testing and we need to get rid of objective measures in college admissions. And Kendi talks about the inequality of standardized testing and how it's you know, linked to race, et cetera. What he does not mention is that the alternatives to standardized testing are just as bad or worse, right? So if you talk about extracurricular activities, who has access to that? If you talk about the quality of your secondary school uh, uh, institution, well, that's linked to race, right? If you talk about um, you know, letters of recommendation, and, you know, going to, you know, Ghana to build a school or, you know, to have the right, you know, like, you know, we've covered on Lost Debate Show, like, there, we even have a cottage industry now of students in high school paying to get peer-reviewed articles, right? Everybody who talks about the problems of standardized testing as a metric, when you push them to explain, well, what the alternative is going to be, often those alternatives are even worse when you talk about racial inequality. And Kenny does very, very little to talk about what the world is going to look like post-standardized testing. And my prediction is the world post this decision and post-standardized testing is going to be universities are going to continue to do what they've been doing. They're just not going to get caught as easily because there's going to be very few objective measures to say, hey, this is how different races have been treated over time. So I... This is a very interesting series of decisions. I don't think this is the end of the the Supreme Court's affirmative action jurisprudence. And I think, as Ted Shaw predicted when we talked to him in the fall, all roads lead back to Bakke, 1978, when the court said it's all about diversity, it's not about societal discrimination. And the one thing for sure is that, all right, the Supreme Court is now closing the door on that diversity rationale. I just think the Supreme Court has closed the door on that. I think universities have continued, will continue to keep the door open on that. They'll just be way less straightforward about it. So uh, those are some of my thoughts. I, I'll put a lot of this in writing, and I think um, as I've been reading these pieces, I think that there's we're now in the empirical world now. I think the, the debate is going to be about, well, how can you use wealth and can you use wealth to get at many of the aims, maybe better, than the way we were using race before. And I think that's where a lot of economists and data experts are going to hash it out. And I find that debate really fascinating. Well, I think that's it. Well, thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. And check out the opinion. I know it's long, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there.